Well, good morning, everyone. So today is the seventh Sunday, the seventh Sunday that we have YouTubed our service. And I want to confess to you, and maybe you can relate, that lately, with all that has been happening, I have found myself feeling like I am trapped in a very bizarre Twilight Zone episode and desperately wanting the episode to just be over. Seriously, please just let it be over. Anyway, at this time, I have no new updates concerning the neighborhood uh, center that we have gathered at on Sunday mornings for the last 10 years. It is still closed through at least May 15th and as I had previously mentioned, it may be, that date may be extended. Now, I hope you haven't gotten tired of uh, me asking this question each Sunday, but concerning Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, or as we commonly refer to it, Philippians, did you take 15 to 20 minutes uh, this last week to read through the letter or maybe listen to it be read through through maybe an app on your phone that's what my wife did this week she listened to the letter be read to her via a phone app it took 13 minutes and 59 seconds well whether you did or didn't i i want to urge you to to make it a habit to go through the entire letter each week and Maybe make it part of your family devotions or devotional time. And then take a moment to think about what you have read or have heard read to you. And in doing so, you will certainly be blessed, beloved. So I just want to keep encouraging you to that practice. So we are in the last chapter of Philippians. That is chapter 4. And we have been looking at the various appeals or loving exhortations Paul makes in verses 1 through 9 of chapter 4 as he brings the letter to a close. So far, we have only considered two of those appeals. In verse 1, we looked at Paul's appeal to the church to stand firm or be steadfast in the Lord. And in verses 2 through 3, we saw an appeal for unity that was directed at two specific members of the church who were not getting along. Today, we will consider two more appeals. One found in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always, and one in verse five, let your gentleness be known to everyone. And then next Sunday, which is also Mother's Day, we will look at the one found in verse six, do not be anxious about anything. That's going to be so good, beloved. Hey, are you anxious about anything? Well, tune in next week, and we'll look at that together as well. So, this message is titled Final Appeals, and it is part three of that message, and there will be more parts coming. So what I want to do is just read the entire section, begin that way. Again, if you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 9, and that way you can follow along with me as I read it. Reading from the ESV, or the English Standard Version, it goes like this. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I, also, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness, or gentleness, is another translation, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, 
By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So that's our uh, full text. So now, looking back, and we're just moving through it verse by verse. Looking back to verse 4, let your eyes slip right back up there to verse 4. Paul says there, this is where we find another appeal, Rejoice in the Lord always Again, I will say, rejoice. Beloved, where was Paul when he, through this letter, made this appeal to rejoice in the Lord always? Well, beloved, he was in Rome under house arrest, as we've talked about before, waiting for his trial. And he knew that at that trial, he could either be released or there was a possibility that he would be executed. <laughs> that he would be executed. One writer commenting on the circumstances that Paul was in in the writing of this letter and the things that he says. And he says, Paul encouraged or celebrated Christian joy dozens of times in his letters and for a wide range of reasons. The greatest concentration of references to joy or rejoicing is found in Philippians, written while Paul was under arrest. So it is in very difficult and challenging circumstances that Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. I appreciated the suggestion of one Bible commentator who said that it's possible that, that Paul's mention of the book of life in verse 3, which I just read, or the book in heaven, that is, that contains the names of all the redeemed, all the saved, that Paul's mention of that book induced Paul's exhortation in verse 4 for his readers to rejoice. And then in support of that suggestion, the, the commentator recalls the words of Jesus to the 70 after they return from their mission with joy, we're told, in Luke, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Indeed, indeed. And that's in Luke 10, 20, in case you're writing those references down and want to look them up later. Now, beloved, please, please take notice that, that Paul repeats the appeal in verse 4. Again, looking back at the appeal, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. One writer says, this repetition, I will say it again, as if Paul, that's what he's saying, I'm going to say it again, presupposed the reality that it was not easy to be joyful. The Philippians, this writer says, needed to rise above their circumstances. Rise above their circumstances. What is the commentator talking about? What circumstances do they need to rise above? Let me remind you that the church at Philippi, a good church, was a church that was suffering as a result of the serious opposition they faced in their city. A city dominated by pagans who despised 
the Christian message and the messengers of Christianity. And we see Paul make reference to that opposition in the first chapter of Philippians in verses 27 through 30, where he also refers to their suffering. The church at Philippi also had some, some issues within their congregation that they were dealing with, and we've looked at those as well, seeds of disunity. So they had troubles from without and troubles from within. While they were a, a good church, all was not well. In light of their difficult circumstances, Bible commentators think that Paul repeats the appeal as he does, saying in effect, I have said it once and, and I will say it again, rejoice. He does that in order to address any of his, his readers who might question whether rejoicing in their time of suffering is really appropriate. Paul, you know what we're going through. You know the challenges we are facing. Rejoice? Yes, I'll say it again. Rejoice. And beloved, let me say emphatically that it is absolutely appropriate or fitting to do what Paul exhorts his Christian readers to do, even in the midst of difficult, trying, or painful circumstances. Why? Because Paul is, is not calling his Christian readers here to, to simply rejoice or be glad, or be delighted. I know you're going through tough times, but just be happy. No, but rather he is lovingly exhorting them to always or at all times rejoice, or be glad, or be delighted in the Lord. In the Lord. Don't miss that. Be glad in the Lord at all times, whose mercy and goodness and kindness to his people goes beyond all measure and never ceases whose good and perfect plan for us is never frustrated, whose love toward us abundantly and unceasingly flows, whose glorious promises to us are always sure, for he is able and willing to fulfill them all. I want to share a number of, of quotes with you from Bible commentators or preachers that I thought would be helpful and encouraging to you concerning this rejoicing in the Lord at all times. One writer says, It is true that believers often cannot find reason to rejoice in their specific circumstances. Certainly, the general wickedness, sorrow, misery, and death in the world evoke no joy. Nor are people a reliable source of joy, since they can change, hurt, and disappoint. The only sure, reliable, unwavering, unchanging source of joy is the Lord. Is the Lord. Another writer says, Christian joy is not dependent, Christian joy is not dependent upon external circumstances. 
It springs out of the fact that the believer is in Christ and is rooted in the unfathomable blessings flowing from that union. Believers, therefore, have ample reason to rejoice even amid unfavorable circumstances. They know that their sinful past has been forgiven, that in Christ they are now well-pleasing to God, and that the hope of an eternity with Christ lies before them. So good and so true. Another commentator writes, the simple phrase in the Lord provides the essential key to joy in every circumstance. No matter what anxiety circumstances cause, there is still a defiant, nevertheless, in the Lord, we rejoice. Finally, another writer says, surely there are many circumstances in which Christians cannot be happy but they can always rejoice in the Lord and delight in him. Paul himself was an excellent example of one who had inner joy when external circumstances, sorry, circumstances such as persecution, imprisonment, the threat of death were against him. And I said that it is I said a minute ago that it is absolutely appropriate or fitting to do what Paul exhorts his readers to do, even in the midst of difficult, trying, or painful circumstances. But I want to add to that that it is not only fitting, but absolutely needful in the midst, certainly, of difficult trying or painful circumstances to rejoice in the Lord always. It's needful. One Bible commentator just says this, and I just couldn't agree more. A time of suffering is a time when rejoicing in the Lord is the only way to survive. That is so true. That is so true. The only way to survive. I love that. And I would add that it is also the only way to thrive as a Christian. Not just survive, but to thrive in this broken and fallen world that can easily overwhelm and crush your spirit. This is needful to always be rejoicing in the Lord. As it says in Habakkuk, and we see this modeled for us throughout the scriptures, it's written there in Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. That's really bad circumstances being described. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes me, he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. We read in Psalm 16, verse 8 and 9, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Beloved, in in light of this loving exhortation, rejoice 
in the Lord always. I, I just have a question for you. What glorious truths, okay, think, think through this. What glorious truths come into your mind when you think about the Lord? And in line with that, what number of great truths come into your mind when you think about the Lord? What I'm trying to get at is, do you have at your disposal a shallow pool of, of basic truths concerning the Lord or a deep ocean, right, that just keeps getting deeper the more you learn about our good Lord, a deep ocean of rich truths. Because this will certainly have an impact on your rejoicing in the Lord. You're, you're rejoicing in the Lord will certainly become easier, if you will, and, and expand as your knowledge concerning him grows or increases. I think about just one example. There are basics that every Christian who is saved knows about the Lord. They must know them in order to be saved and they certainly can rejoice in those things but the more they they study and get to know their lord by by reading the scriptures and meditating on the scriptures and and studying the scriptures the more they will have for rejoicing in the lord the more easier it will be for them to to find themselves rejoicing in the Lord, just thinking about the matter of, of salvation and, and how it is God saves. And as you, as you study these matters further, I was thinking about a book called Chosen by God. I know some of our people have been going through that book at Summit Bible Church, uh, a book by R.C. Sproul, now with the Lord, but a book called Chosen by God. As you, as you, as you learn the truths about all that God has done in order to make you right with him, in order to bring you to that place where, where you would be saved. And you realize he's done it all. He did all the work. It was, it was none of your doing. You, you contributed nothing to the process. And, and that kind of knowledge will only cause you to, in a greater way, a more significant way, and to to rejoice in the Lord of your salvation. It's those kind of things. And this is why we want to encourage you and continually encourage you to study and to get to know your God, to know the Lord Jesus Christ, your Redeemer, your Savior. Also, I was I was thinking, how might we, we help ourselves and each other to do this, to... To rejoice always in the Lord, because I'll confess that's that is not what I I always do. In fact, I may do the very opposite. Be be overwhelmed rather by my circumstances and find myself joyless, without joy, and forgetting that I've been called to rejoice in the Lord. But I was thinking, how might we help ourselves and each other to to rejoice in the Lord always and and not get swallowed up? or overwhelmed by our difficult circumstances. And certainly, we all have uh, some difficult circumstances that we're going through, that we're sharing in right now, but even apart from COVID-19, life is filled with difficult circumstances. If it's not this, it'll be that. If not that, it'll be this. Well, here are some suggestions. I bet you might have some too, and I would love for you uh, to that you're hearing this to, to talk through that with others, maybe your family, or call someone on the phone and say, how how could we how could we help each other to submit and follow this this loving exhortation by Paul? It's so appropriate that we do this, and it's so needful for us that we do this. That regardless of our circumstances, that we are rejoicing, Lord. How can we do that? So here are some of my suggestions, and they're just a few regularly teach your family 
instruct your family and recall for your family what the Lord has done, what the Lord is doing, and what the Lord is going to do. Make that a regular routine. And of course, we, you have uh, the scriptures as your base for those things, but you also have your life in the Lord. Going back with the things he has done, that he has accomplished in your life, the great things he has done. And as you recall those things, and as you teach concerning those things, then our mind is filled with all kinds of things that will immediately be there for us to rejoice in the Lord. I was thinking about prayer. And this is both private prayer, just when it's just you praying to the Lord, no one else is around, and also before others. It would apply in both situations. And again, thinking about how can we help ourselves and help others to, to do this very thing, to be people who the pattern of our lives is to rejoice in the Lord always. Well, uh, I've brought this up before. Someone came up with an acronym for a way, a way uh, to pray to God. And the acronym is ACTS. And the A stands for adoration, adoring God. The C, confession, confessing our sins before him. The T for thanksgiving, giving thanks to God. And then the S is supplication, bringing my needs and requests uh, before the Lord. But I think about that A and, and how often we probably just set that aside. We... We either go right to supplication, maybe just confession, and all those things are good and important, but adoration right up at the beginning, and I will confess I fail in this way too, but I, I don't want to fail. I want to do better at this, and so I'm encouraging you in these things as well, but whether it's privately, I'm praying to the Lord, or there's others hearing me, uh, I'm a father of a home maybe, I'm praying, my family's hearing me, or I'm praying in a small group, or I'm praying with friends. Begin your prayer with adoration, uh, praising God and, and, and remembering his goodness and his greatness and his attributes. And, and as that is done, what's happening is we're, we're filling our minds with many reasons that we should be and can be rejoicing in the Lord always. Adore him. Before you get to confessing sins and giving him thanks, which of course is another reason to adore him, because you can give him thanks for all good gifts are from him. But before you get to all of that, just open up in prayer with adoration. And of course, as you study the scriptures, you'll have even more to fill that time of adoration. So that's one idea. Another idea I have is our connection card. So we have an online connection card, and, and I provide that link. I provide that link every week and it's the connection I provided an email that goes out to the church and the connection card is there for you to post your your prayer requests but it's also there for you to post praises so here is my thought if you'll go and click on that link and fill out the box the praise box what are you what are you praising God for what can you praise God for I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll share that, I'll send that all out to the entire church so that we can all um, celebrate and be reminded of the many ways that God is so good and so faithful and so kind and so worthy of us rejoicing in. And so that might be a way to do it as well. And if you don't want to do it that way, call up someone, call up a brother or sister in the church and maybe... Maybe instead of talking about how difficult things are, maybe you start your time with, let's talk about how we could praise the Lord right now. What are some things that we can praise the Lord for? That bucket should be uh, deep, right? But maybe that would be a way to do it, to encourage each other. We have ample reason, beloved, ample reason to rejoice in the Lord always, but... We need to encourage one another in these things. Here's one more. When asked how I am doing, when asked how, you know, people just meeting each other, go, hey, how are you doing? 
I, I would say, oh, I'm fine, I'm okay, I'm good, you know, those common responses. I started using the phrase again, though, that I picked up from somewhere, I don't know. I heard someone else do it, and I thought it was a good idea. But the phrase is, I am doing better than I deserve. I am doing better than I deserve. And I, I intentionally do that, uh, because that statement is always true. It's always true because of the Lord. Because of my union with him, I am, no matter what, doing better than I deserve. And, and it, it helps my heart, regardless of what's going on, to, re, to think about those things and, and to rejoice. Even in the statement, at least in my own heart, it causes me to rejoice. I am doing better than I deserve because of my Lord Jesus Christ. So, and it also sometimes... Uh, causes the other person to go, what? You know, and, and to think that through. And so that can be helpful to as well for others. My dear sister, Senia, uh, who I miss so much, seeing her every Sunday, what a faithful uh, woman. And, um, but whenever I have asked her for the 10 years that I have known her, how, how are you doing? She always says, I am blessed. I am blessed. And I, I've never felt like it was not genuine. I've always felt it was genuine and sincere. I am blessed. And that's a, that's a true statement for everyone who is united to Christ and a reminder that we have much to rejoice in in the Lord. And so that's another way. I'm blessed. I am blessed. I am doing better than I deserve because of the Lord. So those are some of my suggestions or thoughts. I bet you have some. I hope you will uh, talk through those with your family. Maybe uh, you have some other ideas how to help one another to always be rejoicing in the Lord, regardless, regardless of the circumstances that we might find ourselves in. So let's look now at the next loving exhortation. It's found in, in verse 5. Verse 5, so... If you would go back to verse 5, let your eyes go back to verse 5 in your Bibles. There Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Greek word translated reasonableness here in the ESV, it has a, there is a note in the ESV that it could also be translated gentleness. Gentleness. And uh, that is how it is translated in other place, in other not only in other places in the ESV, but also in other translations of the Bible, it is translated "gentle spirit" in the New American Standard Bible, and "gentleness" in the NIV and the NET. So, in these other translations, the statement goes like this: "Let your gentle spirit be known to all men." This is a, a loving exhortation for Christians. Let your gentleness be evident to all, is how the NIV reads, and the NET, let everyone see your gentleness. This uh, same Greek word, it's used in 1 Timothy 3.3 in regard to the essential qualifications for elders. So there in Timothy, we read that an overseer or elder must be as we read there, not violent, but gentle. Not violent, but gentle. The word is also used in Titus chapter 3, verse 2, where all members of the church are called to be gentle. Same word. There we read in Titus chapter 3, I'll begin in verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now gentle, gentle, that word, or that English word, or that English word for the Greek word that's being used in many translations, my, uh, concerning that word, my youngest grandson just got a new baby sister. Her name is Jane. And when he met Jane and touched her for the first time, mom and dad said, gentle, Travis, gentle. 
So the idea was be soft with her, be soft. But that is not that is not exactly how you should. It's not really how you should think of the word that Paul is using when he says, "Let your gentleness be known to everyone." It's not exactly that way. Your softness. <laughs> the meaning of the Greek word is explained this way uh, by several scholars. One says it means gentle or yielding, this Greek word, yielding, or not stubbornly insisting on one's own rights. Not stubbornly insisting on one's own rights. A definition that we find for the word could be forbearing, forbearing. That means patient and restrained in regard to the treatment of others. Also considerate. These are all ways of trying to explain or define the Greek term. It has been described as a gentle forbearance. This word, a gentle forbearance. MacArthur, John MacArthur, in his commentary, he says this about the word. He says the Greek word has a richer meaning than any single English word can convey. Hence, Commentators and Bible versions vary in how they render it. Sweet reasonableness, generosity, goodwill, charity toward the faults of others, mercy toward the failures of others, leniency, moderation, forbearance, and gentleness are some of the attempts to capture the rich meaning of the Greek word. He goes on to say, perhaps the best corresponding English word is graciousness. Graciousness. He further defines that as the graciousness of humility, the humble graciousness that produces the patience to endure injustice, disgrace and mistreatment without retaliation, bitterness or vengeance. Gracious humility, he says, runs counter to the cult of self-love that was rampant in ancient society and is rampant in modern society as well. Right? It runs counter to this self-love, my way, I should be getting my way, I should never have my rights infringed upon, uh, I should never be treated unfairly, and when I do, you're going you're gonna to feel my wrath, because after all, I love myself and I'm the most important person in the world. And so I should be pleased, all of my rights should be met, so on and so forth, right? This word runs counter to that. Another commentator describing the word, trying to help us understand the fullness of it, says this, gentleness, that is the word translated here, gentleness, the Greek word, it means not insisting, you can see, you'll start to hear this vein run through them all, this repeated idea, not insisting on every right of letter of law or custom, yielding, gentle, kind, courteous, and tolerant. Aristotle describes the gentle person as, quote, the one who by choice and habit does what is equitable, that is fair and impartial, and who does not stand on his rights unduly, but is content to receive a smaller share, although he has the law on his side. Also, also this commentator describes the word in this way to mean courteous leniency. Courteous leniency. That is the fact or quality of being more merciful or tolerant than expected. In other words, I might expect this, but instead, because I treated them this way, I might expect this kind of result. Instead, I was treated more mercifully or tolerantly than I might have expected. 
Another writer says the Greek word is difficult to translate with its full connotation. Again, such words as gentle, yielding, kind, forbearing, and lenient are among the best English attempts. But no single word is adequate. Involved is the will involved in this word is the willingness to yield one's personal rights and to show consideration and gentleness to others. I hope that I hope that's helpful to you as we try to dive in to the richness of the word. So Paul says here in Philippians 4 verse 5, let your gentleness or Graciousness, if you will, I like that as a word for the Greek word. Let your gentleness or graciousness, your, your gracious humility, be known to everyone, to everyone, everyone. Known, as the NASB says it, known to all men, NIV, evident to all. All men? Even the hostile pagans that surrounded them and treated them poorly and unjustly? Yep. All men. All men. As one scholar points out, it is easy to display this quality towards some persons, but Paul commands that it be shown toward all. Another writer says, gentleness should not be reserved only for close friends and family or, or only for fellow Christians. It should be evident to all, especially in a society, this writer says, hostile to the Christian faith. Christians are called to respond to opposition with gentleness to all. Wow. Another says, a gentle spirit will do much to disarm the adversary. Christians. So as I think about this, right, and I'm thinking about, okay, Christians, and, and if I'm to start to give a definition of a Christian, with what we've learned today, here it is, okay? Gentle, Christians, gentle or gracious toward all men even toward those who treat them unfairly or harshly, and always rejoicing in the Lord, no matter their circumstances. Christian. This is the point, as I think about that, where I begin to confess my sin to the Lord concerning these things. And maybe... That is true of you as well. And I begin to look and keep looking to the Lord for help, for help in these matters. I'm just thinking about my experience in life and what I've seen and observed, even among Christian to Christian, that there's often this the opposite of gentleness, but a harshness, a meanness, uh, especially when one Christian uh, does something maybe unfair or unkind to another Christian or, or says something in a way that isn't kind. And, and instead of a, a gentle reaction, you see wrath. I... And that's between Christian and Christian. And then between Christian and the world, well, let me read it to you again. This is how, how Christians should be uh, defined. This is, this, is the, this is the aim. This is the goal. This, is, this should be the pattern. It won't be perfection. We've talked about this many times. We won't get this down perfectly in this life, but it is to be the pattern of our life, the habit of our life, but Christian, gentle or gracious toward all men, even toward those who treat them unfairly or harshly, and always rejoicing in the Lord, no matter their circumstances. 
And for both these appeals, rejoicing and gentleness, and I, for both of them, I, I was thinking that, you know, the kind of circumstances that really open the door for us to be tested and tried in these areas and get an opportunity to, again, trust and believe and obey God and grow in our faith and see him at work in us as we look to him and rely on him to comply with these appeals, our, our circumstances, our difficult circumstances, in other words, those are the circumstances that really open the door uh, to our testing and, tr and being tried in these areas. And the opportunity for growth in these areas and the opportunity to see that maybe we're not as far along as we uh, thought necessarily and there's more work certainly to continue to be done in our hearts. It's, it's, it's those, it's this difficult circuits when we face difficult circumstances or when things are not going well for us you know, to a great degree, right? That's when we really are tried and tested in these matters. Are you going to rejoice in the Lord always or are you going to allow yourself to be overwhelmed by your circumstances and become joyless and, uh, and have your heart be crushed and your spirit and soul crushed? Are you going to be paralyzed or by your circumstances? Or are you going to rise above them as you rejoice in the Lord? Or the circumstances of when people are not gentle with you, are you going to, in, in kind, return that harshness to them? Are you... Because they weren't gentle, are you not going to be gentle? Or are you going to do what you're called to do uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in you, living in obedience to your Lord and, and desiring to walk as he walked? Will you be gentle uh, to those that are not to you? And just generally speaking, gen gentle to all, gracious. Will you be gracious? You know, the, the truth is that when these uh, circumstances come into our lives, they it's good because they, they reveal what's going on inside of our hearts, right? When we're, we're mistreated, as the church in Philippi was being mistreated by those around them, and there was some tensions even within the church, right? So in both cases, they needed to be gracious with one another, brothers and sisters in the Lord, because there were tensions uh, within the church. And they needed to be gracious. They were to be gracious with those outside of the church, even though they were not gracious with them. But in both those situations, when those things come upon you, something starts to bubble up out of your heart. Is it graciousness? Is it desire? Is it a humble graciousness? Is it a desire uh, to, to walk in that way and to treat, uh, to have a courteous leniency toward the other person? Uh, to be kind, to be yielding, or does something else bubble up? And so if that something else bubbles up, it tells you, I got, I got problems still right here. I got problems here, and I need to confess those to the Lord, and I need to uh, rid myself of those. I need to, to put those off, and I need to put on uh, this righteous living that Christ has not only called me to, but empowered me for. So... Um, those circumstances help reveal uh, reveal what's really going on inside of our heart, and that's good because we want to we want to move out those things that uh, dishonor the Lord and uh, bring harm to us. And so, anyway, beloved, as I read through these things, gracious toward all men, even toward those who treat them unfairly or harshly, and always rejoicing in the Lord, no matter their circumstances. I think maybe you, like me, maybe uh, have some things to confess to the Lord concerning these matters, and probably will be confessing as we as we live in this broken world, in this fallen world, and we're faced with all kinds of situations and problems. Um, but we have some things to confess, and we have some things to do. We have some things to do, and I, I pray that we will do those things, and that we would also encourage one another in these matters, help each other along.
in a, in a number of ways uh, that we can do that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we uh, thank you again for your word. And, and uh, Father, uh, we don't want to be people who hear it but then just walk away and do nothing. That's, that's not right. And sometimes that is what we do. We hear it, it, it goes in, and then it doesn't sit. It, it has no impact. Father, I, I pray that that would not be the case for my brothers and sisters at Summit, that when we hear this word, that we would, we would let it have its way with us, as I've said before. Let it have its way. That we would think hard and deeply. Is this us? Is that us? Am I rejoicing in the Lord always? Is that my habit? Am I gentle? Am I gracious with all? Not just people that are easy to be gracious with, but those that are that challenge me and would cause me to, to want to not be gracious and not be gentle or demand my way. Father, help us really process that and then to take appropriate action. Confess, repent, turn from, and begin to walk in this newness of life that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. We have it. Let us begin to walk in it, and let us continue uh, to walk in it. And anytime we're not walking in it, which happens, uh, let us recognize that, let us call it out on ourselves, and then and let us walk the right way, walk in your ways that you have uh, given us in your word. Father, all of this for your glory and for our good, for our good. Help us, Lord. Help us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, beloved, that, uh, that concludes our time for this week, and I hope you will tune back in next week. Same day, same channel. God bless you.